He's asking, is the HDB actually an asset or a liability? You, you mean the flat, right? Not the stat board. Mm, the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just, o- just only, a flat, only a flat so, in Singapore. Sorry, lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> we, we need to know exactly what question we're answering. Are you also still waiting for your BTO? This is your daily catch-up. So today's episode is sponsored by the Ministry of National Development. And as you can see, it's a very special day because we have our very first female minister here with us. Minister Indrani Raja. Let's go. Minister Indrani is the current leader of the house, second minister for national development, minister in the prime minister's office, and second minister for finance, which makes her the perfect person to answer our burning questions about housing affordability, accessibility, and land costs. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, guys. she might be a bit shocked by this loud intro. So maybe <laughs> let's get to know Minister Vindrani a bit more before we move on. So Dan has a question for you. No, firstly, because like I think <laughs> leader of the house, right? That's such like a, a, a big title. What, what does that actually mean? It's actually just another name for head prefect. Uh. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Just nice. make sure everybody like follows the rules. That's what they're supposed to do. Okay, okay, okay. And be there on time to do it. Is there like a WhatsApp chat? And then you're the admin of it, and then you just tell them, "Hey, hurry up, lah! <laughs> Come on, you're late already. Five minutes late." There are many, where you know you have to track them down. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I can only imagine the amount of WhatsApp chats. Yeah. <laughs> So before you got into politics, right, you were actually working in law. Mm-hmm. And why did you choose to enter that profession? Accident. Pure mm. accident. Oh. Ooh. Because when I was applying for university, I looked at all the list of courses and I was like, okay, this one cannot do. I was from arts. Oh. So all the sciences would have been a bit too, you know, don't have the base subjects, right? And then I looked at this one and said, don't like. Then this one, not very near the canteen. So, <laughs> uh, so, often. <laughs> so and, and then I, I actually ended up applying for arts because I thought that that had a wider range. Then on the very same day that I put in my application, I came back home and there was a family friend having dinner with us. And he said, you know, why don't you do law? Because he was a lawyer, of course. <laughs> uh, why don't you do law? Because then you can do many of the things that you, you could do with the arts degree, but you also have an additional uh, one which gives you an entrance to a, a profession. So since I really didn't know what I wanted to do, that's the reason why I thought, okay, maybe good idea. So the next day was a big load of hassle because I had to go down to the university, withdraw my application, put in the oh. new application, got lost in the law faculty, <laughs> wandered into the room where, you know, there was this bunch of guys rehearsing for a competition. And later on, many years later, that turned out to be like my boss, oh. Devinder Singh. Oh. Um, oh. Stephen Chong, uh, Justice of Appeal. Um, VK Raja, uh, former Attorney General. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy Yim, uh, Head of Litigation at Drew so it's like 24 tutors I won- yeah. wandered into that room with all these these guys who at that time I had no idea who they were what they were doing yeah. and many years later ended up working with many of them they, they were rehearsing for like a mock trial is it? Uh, they were rehearsing for the Jessup Moots in the US yes okay because so yes. when you said like stumble upon a bunch of guys rehearsing I immediately thought like dance competition <laughs> <laughs> no dance wasn't their forte Lo- <laughs> much, much better at law yeah mm. I'd rather be good at law than dance <laughs> yeah. hey. if I don't make one but it turns out uh, you were a pretty good lawyer. That came out wrong. That's kind of you to say so. I'm wondering if I could just take this opportunity to ask you some lawyer jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you want to do moot courts. Uh. Okay. <laughs> at your own peril, am I at? Yeah. Uh, tell me if you've heard this before. Yeah, but uh, what do you call a chicken who got a law degree? Okay, I think the correct answer is I don't know, right? So that'll let you deliver your. A wine. legal tender. Oh. A legal what? 
a legal tender. A chicken tender. Yeah. That's a joke. Alright, I got two more. Uh, <laughs> what? Clothes in order. Okay. What clothes do lawyers wear to court? Tell me. A lawsuit. Oh. <laughs> That's just so I bad. I you didn't write this. One more, one more, one more. Okay. <laughs> Do you hear about the guy who uh, sued an airline for his lost luggage? No. He lost the case. <laughs> that one not bad. That one not bad. How did you work with this guy? Uh, he's, he's new. I'm on probation. <laughs> okay. I'm still on probation. <laughs> Alright. Uh, How did you then make the switch from law into politics? Like what interested you to begin with? I guess it wasn't so much of me thinking of wanting a political career. It just so happened that at that time, um, uh, PP was looking for single women candidates because there was a growing constituency of single women and they figured that it would be good to, to have, you know, more, firstly, more women candidates yeah. and some single women candidates as well because they wanted to have a more representative voice. So that's how I sort of stumbled into politics. So on Ooh. that note, right, you actually worked with Mr. Lee Kuan Yew for quite a few years, right? What was yes, in his like? constituency. Um, it was pretty awesome, you know, because... His whole vision of Singapore dates back to the time of independence and all the things right. that you would have done in between, right? Oh. So listening to him and, and speaking to him, you have a very, very different perspective from somebody who comes into it much later on and only has a, a certain a viewpoint. But he was able to you know, tell you the history of it, the, the reason why, um, and just give you a very different look through a, 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 his lens. One of the things that he would always say was that it was very important to know what your residence circumstances are. So he related the story of how when he was uh, an MP, he used to do his house visits. He would go to the homes. Sometimes he would just ask if, you know, he could just look into the, the fridge, for example, because that also told him what their circumstances were like, whether they were okay. Because remember, we were much poorer then. I mean, nowadays you, you probably wouldn't do that. But it just illustrated to me his very keen interest on in wanting to know how his residents were. Same thing during the SARS period. That was back in 2002, 2003, right? Yeah. I remember particularly he was very concerned about the taxi drivers because their livelihood would have been affected at that time. Right. We, in the recent pandemic, we saw how mm. it affected now the grab drivers and, and, and so on. But, you know, it just struck me that for all the, the big policies and everything, his heart very much remained with the common man and woman. Wow. wow. But imagine like... Mr. Lee Kuan Yew showing up and saying, hey, open your fridge. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. Don't forget, in those days, not many people even had fridges. Oh, don't forget. Okay, so okay, it was okay. a different era, but he point. was just trying to find, you know, out what the circumstances would be like. Yeah. As a minister, right, and like working in so many ministries, mm. right, what was that like? Because so, so like, if you are holding like many different positions at the moment, then at what point in your day do you like divide your attention which way, you know? They're different portfolios, but... Yep. One of the things you have to remember about government is that a lot of things are linked. Right. So if you are in Ministry of Finance, it basically touches every other ministry because you allocate the budget. So other ministries have to work with us. But if you're working at MND, you also have to think about how that impacts on families. And I'm at, in, under Prime Minister's office. Uh, I deal with uh, national population as well as marriage and parenthood. So you then have to mm. look and see whether we, you know, they're, they're in our flats, yeah. for married couples, for first timers, things like that. It's so, all connected. So it is all connected. But do you have like hobbies outside of work then? I think sleep is a oh. great activity to have. <laughs> Agree. It's in very short supply nowadays. So yeah, sleep's mm, good. But if not sleep... Um, <laughs> Jared, I just want to find activity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, she, she, nothing I, to do with his wife already at this point. <laughs> I run, um, oh. jo go jogging. 
Um, mm-hmm. Again, simply because that's something which I can do on time, on target. If you're right. playing team sports, then you have to make sure everybody else's schedule, you know, syncs with yours. So r- running allows me to do it at pretty much any time. A bit uh, of me time as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, reading as and when I can get it. Netflix as and when it's possible. You know. What are you watching? Netflix recommendation. <laughs> I knew, I knew yeah. that was going to happen. At the moment, Money Heist. Oh. Nice. <laughs> you never watch Physical 100? No. That's it, the current it, trend. Because yeah. all the men shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Anyway. Re- remember I said sleep, 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 sleep. Sleep over shirtless men. That's the current <laughs> ranking. What would you say is like a day in your life working in the MND? and like specific to your role or what you are taking care of? A day in life would actually not be working at MND. Day in life would be hmm. like, for example, uh, going to MND, then after that rushing down to MOF, then after that going out for a meeting and then coming out to do the meet, meet the people session at night. We meet the people every day. So mine's every Monday except for public holidays. I actually had a friend that volunteered at your meet the people session. Oh, Okay. Alicia, hi Alicia, if you remember. <laughs> okay. I remember being quite impressed because she said that like the Meet the People session can go until like 1 to a.m. And then you will stay all the way also. I mean, I stay for as long as it takes, depending on whether the resident would like to see me or not. Mm. So some days are shorter than others. Sometimes it really depends on, on the problem. You have the straightforward ones are like, Speeding fines, littering fines, but sometimes. Oh, I didn't know people go with the Wait, <laughs> So people literally say like, "Please help me appeal for my speeding fine." Yes, they they, they do. Um, <laughs> it's up to the agency to assess the merits of the appeal. Some have really really good reasons. She didn't get because Dan's eyes are a bit sus <laughs> right this now. Is, uh, this is a YouTube series waiting to happen. <laughs> you know, like the old judge that always like listens to like speeding fines in New York or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But some have have more complicated issues. For example, they may have legal issues it really depends they, they run into regulatory problems yeah. um, and not all know where to find assistance so yeah what are some things that MND does right that people might not realize that they do or they, that they take care of the MND family is actually really large so everybody obviously thinks of MND in association with HDB which mm-hmm. is one of the agencies it's a step board under MND so our housing program but NPARKS is also under MND. Oh, yeah. So don't forget NPARKS, you know, all of the parks. And during the circuit breaker and during the COVID period, it was all those park connectors and the parks that kept people yeah. mentally, you know, uh, healthy, sane. Uh, they had their green. So NPARKS really came to the fore during that period. There's uh, URA as well, right? There's URA, which does the, the, the planning for the city. Then there's BCA, mm-hmm. which is oh. really building and construction. Um, and then there's also the real C- estate agents. Mm-hmm. CA. Yeah. And then, um, now under uh, a division of, of NPARKS, you also have uh, cats, dogs, and animals. Oh. <laughs> the, the old ABA. Yeah. Thank you so much for building the, <laughs> the dog runs in the parks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I personally benefited from that. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big, big fan of having dog runs where it's possible because I think it's, it's important for the dogs to be able to have space uh, and for their owners to be able to have somewhere to take them because sometimes the owners end up taking them to other places where there are people who are not very comfortable with, mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. animals, right? Mm-hmm. Then then that's not a great idea. So it's good to have, you know, the right spaces for the right activities. Wait, you have a dog? She won me over already. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. what, what breed of dog do you have? Oh, I got Singapore Special. Oh, okay. Ooh. Nice. Uh, yes. You're also uh, winning people over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dog yes. not sure. I always thought NPOX was under NEA. Learned something new today. Okay, mm. so like home ownership and public housing affordability, accessibility has been a very hot topic Ooh, recently. Massive. Yeah, it has. Yeah, so there are a lot of different oh. views that people are arguing so and there's a lot of general anxiety over it so 
while we have you here with us today, mm-hmm. we thought we might pull up some comments that we found on the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. And get your help to clarify them. Lah. Okay. Yeah. So, our very first comment is by Mr. Edward Lam Sien Ming, 3430 from one month ago. Hello. So, he's asking, is the HDB actually an asset or a liability? You, you mean the flat, right? Not the stat board. Mm, the flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, o- just only, a flat, only a flat so, in Singapore. Sorry, lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> we, we need to know exactly what question we're answering. Because yeah. in Singapore, it's important for every Singaporean to have a home. But at the same time, having to pay so much, right? Makes it very difficult for us. So, t- tell me more. Stop right there! Like, share, and subscribe, and comment down below. How much did you get your HDB for? <laughs> Back to the episode. Remember when we started out as a country, right? Well, I don't. Re- I actually <laughs> don't remember. So. Okay, no, you don't. I do. But you, you know, people didn't have homes, mm. and that was the whole reason for for having HDB to build homes for Singaporeans. The primary objective is home ownership. We wanted, and still want, people to have a, a roof over their heads. But more than that, home is it's not just a physical place. It's where you grow up. It's where your family is. There's a whole lot of emotional connections with home. And there's also your societal links. Mm. Because, you know, it's the coffee shop downstairs. It's the auntie and uncle at the, the hawker centre nearby. HDB, primarily it's, it's a home. But because it's also property, it does appreciate in value, at least in the initial period. That, that's the common trajectory of, of property. So home ownership is first and primary reason. Mm. There will be those who find that for whatever reason they have to sell their their flat at a certain stage. If it's certainly in the the earlier uh, years of that 99-year lease, in most times you will find that it appreciates, in which case you also get to realise the asset appreciation. But if the question is, should you buy HDB just as an asset for for flipping or for speculation or pure investment, that's not its primary reason. The appreciation is a benefit that comes along the way and like all benefits should be, you know, used wisely. And then towards the end of that 99 years, um, when you get older, you can actually also monetize it. Mm. Um, under the lease buyback scheme, for example. There are many ways in which the, the property can, can benefit you along the trajectory of your life, but it's really meant to provide you with stability, that emotional security, and knowing that you have a place to stay and a place to call home. Yeah. I actually just read about this lease buyback uh, mm. scheme on the way to work today. <laughs> yeah, so apparently you can... <laughs> Overly honest, yeah, I didn't know this, but uh, you could actually sell the remaining... Am I understanding this correct? You can yeah. sell back your some remaining years of That's your right. lease. That's and right. And it will help you in your retirement. That's right. right. So basically, you see, sometimes the, the, the lease will extend way beyond your estimated lifetime. <laughs> so uh, HCB calculates or helps you to calculate up to about age 95. Mm. And anything, any tenure of your lease beyond what that age would be, they, they'll buy back. Yeah. That part of that lease which you don't think you would need, you sell back to HDB. In other words, you're monetizing it, then you get the cash and then you can use it for other things. Why is there even a need for like a limit? A limit on? The 99 years. Like why doesn't it just be a freehold? We have 99 year leases. Why? Because at the end of 99 years, it comes back to the state so that we can build a fresh and a new and rejuvenate. Because if you don't have an a, a finite term of the lease it means that whoever bought holds onto it forever and then the land is out of the hands of the state 
uh, and then other new homeowners can't come into the picture. So what we do is we give a long lease, like 99 years, which is more than enough time for a person's lifetime. In fact, two generations, or mm. slightly over two generations can stay in, in that flat. But at the end of it, it comes back and then we can build a fresh and a new because the things that we need to build in 99 years' time will be very different from the things we need today. Mm. Building will be different. Uh, needs will be different. You really don't know, you know, there was a time, right, when we were talking about electric cars as something way off in the future and like it's the stuff of science fiction. Mm. But it's now going to become a reality and we're aiming to go, you know, electric for, for cars by 2030, right? So you, you really don't know in 2050, it might be, you know, air taxis. If all the land is no longer in the state hands, the state doesn't have the ability to rejuvenate, to build new public infrastructure, etc. So that's why it's 99 years. Correct me if I'm wrong. So like if a homeowner reaches that 99 year point and has returned mm. that land, do mm. they get any form of monetization bank, like any monies for that, for the home? Not at that point, but the monetization could well have taken place in the earlier yeah. portion. Understood. Because when you first buy, especially when you buy direct from government, yeah. very heavily subsidized. Yeah. So when you sell after the MOP of yeah. uh, five years, you will get an uplift, right? Mm. So at that point, you also get a surplus out of it. So you've monetized okay. at that stage. And then if let's say you hang on to that and later on you do um, the, the lease buyback scheme or what, one of the other schemes, you also monetize there. But at the 99 years then obviously you've you've lived that duration of the lease and it comes to its natural end yeah so when understand. you when you buy at the beginning 99 everybody knows it's 99 and you know it comes to an end mm. the question is what you do with it in between understood so there's enough like schemes or like mechanisms for you to be able to to, to monetize, monetize it along the way but but yeah. bearing in mind that the primary purpose should be a home of course <laughs> of course it's not yeah. yeah yeah understood understood so on the topic of like monetization or investment <laughs> mm. something else that we're seeing a lot recently in the headlines right is that normal homes just hdbs out there are being sold for a million dollars higher than a million dollars you must be so annoyed by those headlines right because <laughs> yes. they really skew the expectations of, of they, people. they they do and they've had the effect of you know frightening people mm, and yeah. making people worried making people think that all resale flats are like that and not only that making them think that bto flats are like that whereas <laughs> mm. actually it's not the case the one million dollar flats and over actually comprise about one percent of resale of oh of all transactions oh. of, of, of resale transactions right. but because every time it's sold then it's the headline yeah. every time it's there the yeah. headline it's then, overrepresented. Then, then people start feeling oh I, I i can't afford a million dollars i won't be able to afford a, a, a resale flat then very soon it becomes i won't be able to afford a bto flat whereas that's not in fact the case right. so bto direct from government heavily subsidized very generous subsidies uh resale only 1% of the transactions are over a million. Oh, oh. Yeah. So it's a bit of sensationalism going on la, in terms yeah. of like... Oh, it it is. Made. I mean, it doesn't really make a headline to say resale flat went for like 400,000. It's not a great headline, right? What, yeah. what, $1 million, yes, uh, but that unfortunately skews the, the perception. But we still so, have a lot of comments about flats in general becoming way more expensive, especially in the last two years where there's a short supply of the BTOs, right? So is that a problem that you guys are looking at? Yeah, so let me let me just break it down. For there's BTOs <laughs> and then you've got resale. 
So BTOs, actually, the prices have been stable mm. over the last few years. And they've been stable because we've been able to set the price. And when we, when we price it, we price according to affordability. And we've kept the prices affordable. Mm. There will be a difference between mature and non-mature estates. We can get into that later. But I just wanted to say that for BTOs, they've largely been stable and the prices have not increased significantly. But then you have resale. Resale was a different story because what happened was COVID. Our housing program was on track. We were building a certain number of flats every year. Then COVID came along. Then you remember how we had to close the dorms? Means that the, the construction workers couldn't come out. Also means that new ones couldn't come in. So the whole housing program got delayed and mm. the schedule was set back. What that meant was fewer BTOs entering the supply. Mm. Then those who wanted BTOs and couldn't get BTOs would start to look at the resale market. Mm. So that started to drive up uh, demand. demand and resale. And then what was happening simultaneously was that there were private property downgraders who sold their private property and were buying resale. So imagine if you sell your private property at 3 million or 4 million, you can afford the 1 million now. Uh, <laughs> right. and, 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 you know, and so that entered the picture as well. And at the same time, there was another thing that was happening it's it's been happening over a number of years but we definitely saw an increase in the last few years where the family units are getting smaller yeah. in the past you get you know the, the the parents and the children and children and their their children living all together but i think increasingly people want their own privacy in their own space so that added to it as well it's like the perfect storm as far as the resale market was concerned where the the, the demand was really you know very high and that was what was driving up the prices so we put in some cooling measures um, it's had some impact but really the key is bringing the BTOs back on stream and as you can see newspapers reported the other time the number of uh, flats that were behind schedule has been brought down from 90% to 40% Okay. so we're, we're back on track and uh, you know we're, we're ramping up Mm. So, so hopefully it will stabilise after a while. So question two actually kind of ties into what we've mentioned a bit about like the HDB flats increasing in value over the years. Mm. So yeah. this person says HDB flats should never be allowed for speculation or investment. There is a need to de-link HDB flats from property speculators, force all the so-called upgraders to sell their HDB flats if they want to buy private and don't allow people to buy private at the same time rent out their HDB. So like a lot of people Ooh. are saying that like they are buying the HDB, not even staying in the HDB and just using it for investment as the value maybe like doubles over the next five, 10 years, right? And then this spoils the market for families that actually need the house. So why are there not more tighter regulations around this? Okay, we have quite a lot of regulations already. In fact, mm. the HDB rule book is really, really, really thick. <laughs> um, but when it comes to the question of selling and so on, Initially, you couldn't sell HDB flats. I don't know whether you... Again, oh. probably before you were born. Lah. Wait, so what happens if I want to move out? I'm just stuck. That would have been the case. And that was oh. what led to a, a policy change because we realised that people actually do have good reasons for wanting to sell. Some might be because your family size changes and you had a three-room flat. Now you need a four-room or a five-room. So what we did was that we allowed resale, but we, we set a limit 
which is the five-year uh, minimum occupation period, yep. because then at least it ensures that you stay there for for five years. I mean, should we increase that limit? Is there more that we should do? I mean, those are some of the suggestions that have come up. Yep. That's something that we could look at. But we have increased the limit in one particular case, and that is for the prime location housing. Yep. These are the HDB flats which are built in the prime areas where you would expect that the prices would be a lot more. Mm. And because the prices are a lot more, um, the government gives much more subsidies in order to make it affordable. But if that's the case, what you don't want is a scenario where people buy and then hope at the end of five years, I make a killing on the market, right? I just sell it and I get this huge windfall. Mm. So for that one, we've put in place a minimum occupation period of 10 years so that it really, you know, if, if you are serious about wanting a home and you really want your home in this prime location, then you have to stay with it for 10 years. So th this is like an example of one of the restrictions that we, we put in or conditions that we put in to deter people using the flats as investment. This is not to say though that there won't be an investment effect when you finally do sell, but at least you try and calibrate it mm. and make sure that there is a balance. Should we put more restrictions? Well, that's, that's something we can always look at and see, but you also have to bear in mind that people also need some flexibility. The question is, where do you find that, that right balance? But because of that, right, so recently I think we are no stranger to PSP's recent calls for the housing reset and all that. Mm. And they've talked about how affordability and accessibility is available, but not at the same time. If I want better affordability, right, I have to choose it in an area that is non-mature, which may be seen as less accessible. If you think about our non-mature estates, actually the amenities are pretty good. Then they may not be quite the same as the mature ones, but you still you still have access to, to, to buses, you still have access to trains. It really depends on what the needs are for the moment. But I would say that if you if you need a flat, non-mature estate is your your chances of getting it within three tries. But it makes sense, huh? it's like it's like private market also, mm. like the way how property prices work is that if there's more amenities and it's a little bit more mature, it's going to be but more like, expensive I'm anyway. Not, I'm not mature estates are maturing. Yeah, yeah, yeah very exactly. I don't want to like rent too much, but I feel like it's, it's people, if they're complaining about the prices or they're complaining that there's not enough flats, it's that they're just too picky and they want to be in a mature estate. <laughs> Ooh, no. And there's all these homes out there, I'm assuming there's all these homes out there at the non-mature estates that are just ready and up for grabs or ready to be BT road but like no one's no actually one's it's true them. I have stats on that I read an article about how uh, I think Asia One started listing now already all the affected neighbourhoods in Tengah that will be <laughs> 1km within the new ACS so now Ooh. Tengah is going to be the hot place la. I think so so actually it went from like <laughs> it went from like oh, so far to like hey let's all go there oh my god this is like how they did the MRT you know like the back down Benny all that stuff right then so in the old MRT when you go in then the pole is like right in the middle then everyone crowd there yeah. so then they remove that pole and then move it in so that people will crowd there instead and that's what they have done to ACS <laughs> 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 wasn't sure okay. what the energy was going correct one, right ACS is the pole like this wasn't the first time that a school actually has been moved to like kind of make a, a neighborhood more attractive oh what like apparently it wasn't a measure <laughs> but it's not the first time that a school has moved and made subsequently made and a the consequence of it was yeah, more, okay. more popular so apparently <laughs> in Sengkang of course I'm, I'm like tested mm -hmm. right there was a school called um, and I need to like say this properly because Nan Chiao <laughs> oh, oh, correct correct yes. 
<laughs> yeah, so like they moved and apparently that, that area became a lot more popular because of it. I just um, figured out the word you were trying to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> so something that was quite interesting that I read was also that from HB, HDB's past BTO sales launches, right? After they get the chance to pick the flat, four out of 10 applicants actually choose not to select a flat because yeah. either their preferred units are not available or they want to apply for other areas or they want to change to opt for a resale flat instead. Picky! <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but you, you pointed out something that, that is really important because what happens is that when you have people who join the queue who don't actually take up the flat in, mm. in the end, um, you actually prevent everybody else further down along the queue from having uh, a, a chance at getting that flat. Right. And that's also a phenomenon that has been happening. I mean, I, I don't know the reasons why why they do that, but it's it's just try, try my luck and then I get this one. But actually, I don't really want this one. I would prefer another one, which I can understand from the individual perspective. But the only problem is it, it then ends up depriving uh, all the others in the queue. So that that's something else we have to manage as well. Which I believe there's like a if you if you choose not to you can't apply for a BTO again for after like uh, yeah one that, that's year. about a year so they actually turned me off because like so my <laughs> fiance and I um I think we we applied for uh, a BTO at Sengkang like 2017 I think and then we were number 400 out of 600 which means that 400 people get to go before us mm. and it's along the river so it's really nice everyone wants the Ooh. river facing one so by the time it was our turn 400 right, all of it was gone like only like second floor left. Which you can't see a river because there's trees. So like, <laughs> we honestly thought like, wow, should we just like apply for something else? And then the one year one like just turned us off anyway. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Like you mentioned, right? You went to pick Sengkang and then you actually got the ballot on the first try. Yeah. So Jared also got... I bought a resale. Oh, you bought a resale. I'm yeah. so sorry. So I've Which actually Jared? received uh, quite a lot of support from the government. You got the resale housing grant. Yeah, I got about... I think I was calculating yesterday again because uh, I moved in in 2021 uh, mm -hmm. in Pasiris. Mm -hmm. uh, I had 70k in grants. Okay. Yeah, so I bought yep. it at... Should I say the price? I bought it at 398. <laughs> hey, that's for Pasiris. That's not bad. Wait, how many rooms? Three rooms. That's not bad. But top floor. The things I took into consideration when uh, my wife and I were looking uh, for a house is... Uh, I think there were just two very important things that we wanted to focus on. Uh, one is... Childbearing. No. Oh. Uh, <laughs> this guy has no, no uh, intentions of... So the thing... What? Uh, sorry. What? I'm not oh. going to push the antinatalism thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget my other portfolio is marriage and parenthood. Yeah, and then you see, you see, oh, yeah. worms, we will have a separate conversation after this. We will. This. After yes. to me, oh, okay, go to the media yeah. after this. Yeah. So, uh, what, I, brought it up. I, I think what we wanted is actually very common in terms of what people are looking for. Uh, number one is location. We wanted something that was close to the MRT. La. Yeah. Okay. Did you also want to be like close to your parents? Yeah. So I've been living in Pasiris my entire life and okay. I somehow oh. managed to convince my wife to move from Jurong to Pasiris. Oh Whoa. my god. Okay. That's a massive sacrifice. No, you just say Chang Airport is a 10 minute drive. That's well, the red jungle file uh, in yeah. Pasiris Park. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think another thing we wanted to take into consideration was cost. La. Uh, mm -hmm. So these are very common things that most people are thinking of. But uh, we chose a three-room because we could have afforded a four-room flats with the assistance mm -hmm. of the grants and all the council. But I think what we didn't want to fall into is to kind of go into debt longer than we had to. La. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. And yeah. actually, By according to budget. Yeah. The location stuff also, I think what's interesting is that we went to see a few houses, la, obviously, as one does when buying a house. <laughs> you don't just buy the first one that you see. Uh, we There was another four-room flat in uh, Pasiris where... 
uh, it was huge. <laughs> and it was oh. huge. I think it could have been like 1.5 times the size of my current house. Like a five room. Yeah, and the price the same. Oh, yeah. As this three room. But further from MRT. But further from MRT. So, <laughs> and then you know, you then the renovation costs will go up yeah. because you're going to have to build more stuff. So, harder to clean. Harder to clean. So, Okay. Yeah, I think ultimately- That's a very valid consideration. <laughs> yeah, not bad, right? My consideration. Yeah. So, okay. asking the minister. <laughs> yeah, my, are my choices prudent? <laughs> so whilst we're on the, the topic of the, the resale grants, right? So I thought I should just mention that actually HDB provides up to about 160,000 yeah. for resale yeah, grants. It, I didn't um, receive For first timers. No, you won't yeah. get the, the maximum depending yeah. on, on uh, your income. situation yeah. and, and what you need. Household but income. Basically, that, yeah. you break it down. Uh, there's the CP PF housing grant for resale flats that's up to 50,000. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the enhanced CPF housing grant of up to 80,000 and then you've got the proximity housing grant of up to 30,000. That's the one to let you live near your parents. Within, so it depends sometimes you have a combination of them. Yeah, within 4 kilometers and if you stay with your parents it's 30k if you don't stay with your parents. Yeah. See, yeah. he's got it down yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was so annoyed but like like fair enough right because it needs to be to a T but like my fiance's parents and our BTO right is like 4.5 or 4.6 I think or maybe 5 I think it was 5 we, we had to decide how yeah, to do the cut off course, every yeah. number that you take there's Correct. always another point Correct. 5 but you got BTO right wait or resale BTO oh, no. I thought proximity is also proximity is only for resale it's for resale because when we developed that policy we realised that there were a lot of people who wanted to apply for resale because they wanted to live near mm. their parents um, but there were some affordability issues so that's why we came up with the proximity housing grant mm. but how Makes do you all decide like if you are this income level you get this amount of grant then <laughs> this income level then this is your number I mean Basically, the rule of thumb is that for those who earn less, you try to help more. I mean, that's how it works out. Right. And then you you just peg it accordingly. What I think is very helpful, it's not that we're really gaming the system because I think it's by design of sorts, but you can help to debunk that, right? Because when young couples BTO early, they're obviously earning a lot less than by the time the flat is ready. Like when my fiancé and I met, we probably applied for our BTO when we were two years into our relationship. Now we're like seven years into our relationship, right? When we're getting married, they say we were to buy a house this year, we wouldn't have saved as much as we would have as opposed to like buying the BTO early enough and then using that household income that we had back then for like the grants and things like that. So it's actually very helpful by the time the house is ready for us. I think that's a, a consequence of the, the, the design. But I think the key thing is that at the point that you apply for it, we, you already have to start looking at uh, whether you can afford it, what yep. your finances are. Because you shouldn't apply uh, not being able to afford and, yeah, then, and then hope that by the time it's ready, somehow you know things will happen. And HGB yeah. will normally walk you through that process. Okay, okay. Yeah. That actually just... leads me to my next comment. So... <laughs> This person is asking if the BTO is undersubscribed, does it then mean that the government will not build that BTO? But if they are going to build it regardless of the subscription, then why not just build everything else first also so that couples no need to wait five years to start a family? That's a really good question because right Whoever now... Whoever you are. No username. <laughs> there's this whole discussion thing of why don't you build ahead of demand? Mm. So that, that first time was interesting because you said, what happens if you build a BTO that is undersubscribed? Mm. The whole point of building a BTO is so that it won't be undersubscribed because it's built to order. So you are pretty sure (laughs) that when you build it, 
it is subscribed. Right. And the reason why we did that was because there was a time when we were building, basically assessing what the demand might be. And then we ran into a problem because there was an oversupply at one stage. Yep. And that led to a whole round of other, other issues. So that's how the BTO uh, scheme came into place. But it's supplemented by the sale of balanced flats. And of course, you have the resale market as well. Which is actually really useful now. If I'm not mistaken, like sale of balance, there was also cycles for it. But now you can kind of go online and like mm. apply for it now, which makes it a lot easier yeah. to fill up the if there is an under under demand, if ever lah. No, but I was going to go back to like the, the previous one, right? I feel like it's a tip. It's not endorsed by MND or minister. <laughs> if you're in a relationship where you know that it's going going the distance, apply early because likelihood, right? Your household income is less and so you get more grants. No, it is a valid point in the sense that if, when you apply early and both of you are earning a certain amount, by the time it's ready, then usually your, your income will increase over time and your circumstances get better and then you're in a much better financial position by the time the flat's ready. Yes. Generally speaking. Exactly that. And you're also like, hey, home. <laughs> Thank you, past self. Like what Dan said, right? Asking couples to apply earlier, but a lot of couples are actually running into a problem where they halfway through something doesn't work out oh. and then they run into a whole slew of other problems and then they are in a sense blaming the, the building period because it's so long, right? And then so many variables could happen in between. So is there a solution to that? I think the, the key thing about that really is that you should only apply for a flat when you're pretty sure that you want to be together as, as a couple. Mm-hmm. This is not to say that things may not go wrong down right. along the road, but by and large, I mean, it shouldn't be the, the flat that, that drives your relationship, <laughs> right? It should be a question of whether your relationship is strong, you really want to spend the rest of your life with this person, right. then you apply for the flat. Right. Don't blame the house for your relationship issues. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know I, I can understand why some may feel that way it's because I, oh I'm so afraid that there won't be a house for, for us by the time we get married but coming back to the original conversation about the housing supply we're back on track mm. the initial crunch was due to COVID we're slowly sorting that out in fact we're accelerating the process of sorting that out we're back on track about 23,000 flats for this year and prepared to go up to 100,000 flats between uh, you know, 2020 to 2025. Okay. So you're, you're averaging more than 20,000 flats per year. Um, and that's not a small number. But if I can ask, right, is it not a bit of like a, a vicious spiral? Because like, while couples are waiting for their BDO, if they don't want to live with their parents in that period of time, right, then they have to go out to rent a flat. Then by like renting, then the available supply of flats also goes down. Then it also drives the prices of resale up then is it not like a um, spiral? Prior to, to COVID, before the, the search and demand and, and it's still ongoing, we do have the provisional housing scheme, meaning that when you're waiting for your BTO, oh. you can actually rent from HDB. It's mm. just that in the last few years, because the, the BTO thing was backlogged, then obviously there was a surge of demand of that as well. But once the BTO start to come on stream, I think that will hopefully be normalized and then people can apply for that the provisional housing whilst they're waiting for their BTO flats anyway to wrap things up in conclusion it feels as though many people have been complaining about housing prices but actually the options are there they are affordable it's just that I think we're just a little bit too fussy over where we want to choose to Um, live maybe not Mr. didn't say that (laughs) MND didn't say that no I, I would put it this way I think that there is a, a bit of a crunch at the moment, primarily because of COVID, which held up the housing uh, construction schedule. But that is being ironed out. Um, and there are also other issues which we're addressing. So, you know, bit by bit, 
as the song says, we will get there. Stephanie Sun. That song. Deep okay, in yep. my heart, <laughs> So we've come to the end of the episode. Thank you very much to MND and also Minister Indrani for coming down and sharing with us all these answers to our burning questions. For more information about housing affordability, accessibility, land costs and housing subsidies, check out all the links that we are throwing in the description down below. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Like, share and subscribe. Like when you go jogging, right? Do people recognize you? Then after that, they stop you and want to ask you about policies. Not about policies. It's oh. usually for picture. Oh, oh. So it's like, okay, can, can we? I'm puffing and panting along, right? So, okay, can we take a selfie? It's like, yes, all right. Then the next one. You ever say no or not? <laughs> no lah. You ever like you see people, right? And then you they rough, you roughly know they're gonna ask you for selfies. You take the longer route. <laughs> <laughs> like, you Have you considered a gym membership? <laughs> <laughs>